Welcome to episode 16 of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock and Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guests for this episode are who I call the trifecta of therapists, and they're from Tennessee Neurofeedback in the Nashville area. They include KK Ray, David Hampton, and Nate Larkin. You'll get to meet them right after this. This episode of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is brought to you by Tennessee Neurofeedback. Are you tired of being tired, wondering what it's like to have a quote-unquote normal brain? Then you're the perfect candidate for neurofeedback. The professionals at Tennessee Neurofeedback provide the tools you need to help you overcome things like addiction, anxiety, depression, insomnia, and obsessive behaviors. They start with brain mapping, then that's followed by a consultation about the brain mapping, and finally the magic potion, it's neurofeedback. Neurofeedback trains the brain to operate at an optimal level. Their website says it all. It says neurofeedback, NFB heals the brain, psychotherapy heals the mind together, neurofeedback and psychotherapy can create lasting change and recovery. If this is of any interest to you, and it is or you wouldn't have stuck around this long to listen, you can find out more by going to their website, tnnfb.com. That's tnnfb.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, I'm with mental health royalty, especially in the Tennessee area. This is going to be worldwide. I was just telling Nate and David and KK before we started, I'm big in Belgium. I've got two listeners in Belgium. So uh, this is this is going to be big. But because we have so many people at the roundtable today, let's just introduce everybody. KK, you've been on the Lisa Fisher Said podcast, but go ahead and tell us who you are and what is it you do. I am KK Ray. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a neurotherapist. So I, I meet with people typically um, trauma related issues, but I also love to see people with um, marital or relational issues. Primarily now I'm spending a lot of my time um, helping people become more trauma informed and use different modalities of um, mental health besides just talk therapy. Okay, Nate, what about you? What's your expertise? Well, that's that that really is open to debate. I'm a, I'm a writer and a speaker and a, and a completely unaccredited. Uh, let me see. I'm a I'm a recovering uh, porn and sex addict. I know KK doesn't like that terminology, but it's what's most familiar to me. And uh, you know, I hang out with guys who battle compulsive uh, sexual behaviors. Okay, and David, you're next. I'm a certified professional recovery coach, and I am in private practice in uh, the greater Nashville area. Um, I see people with substance use disorders um, and unwanted compulsive behaviors, work with families and loved ones, partners of people who are struggling. And um, my youngest client is about 16, and my oldest client is about 80. So, yeah. The battle continues. It doesn't matter how many years you have on the calendar. Well, we've turned the calendar for a new year, 2021. 
we all kicked 2020 to the curb, but that doesn't mean we've kicked uh, bad relationships or bad habits. Mm. Uh, Nate, what can you tell people now looking into the new year? What should, because everyone wants to start anew, right? With the new year. Yes, yes. yes. Sometimes they just can't grasp it. What's some advice you have for them? Well, I mean, if you can gain some momentum from the turning of the calendar, by by all means, just grab whatever you can grab to get started. Uh, but my experience tells me that any private resolution isn't going to take you very far. You need to connect, make the decision to seek help, to get connected to other people who want to, who are going in the same direction you want to go, so that when your determination fades, as it will or when you get fatigued or angry or overwhelmed, uh, you've got some help to keep you moving. So no man is an island. Yeah, right? that's we, right. We have to lock arms. I mean, that that's a biblical, you know, if we're looking at it from a biblical modality, that is obviously, you know, what we're to do, iron sharpens iron, and also uh, help people as they stumble. Uh, David, what, what what's your feeling then on... Um, People hated 2020. I mean, 2020 needs <laughs> a new public relations spokesman. That's going to be a, uh, yeah. Wow. But also, sometimes we come out of the holidays. We've been burned by a relationship. We sat down at the, uh, Christmas dinner with that person that we've just been in conflict with. What can you do to encourage somebody to maybe mend some of those relationships? Mm, boy, uh, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is adjust your expectations. Um, you know, look at what you're expecting out of that relationship, what you're maybe demanding out of that relationship. Can that person really be that? Are they capable of that? Um, probably not. <laughs> um, you know, what's the, what's the narrative you're telling yourself about you and that relationship? Um, I mean, on and on, but, um, yeah, I think that, um, I mean, gosh, if anything, 2020 taught us is that we need relationships. Everybody we talk to, I talk to, and myself included, are so stinking sick of being isolated and alienated that, man, when we get a first green light, we're going to come out with a vengeance. But, um, but I think that the first step in, in maybe mending some of these broken relationships is, is beginning to adjust your expectations of yourself and what that relationship really can be. And KK, you nodded during all that. So and I'm sure you have something to say. Well, what I have to say first is that these, you know, people that are listening don't know, but um, these two guys here have so much more wisdom than I'll ever have. And it's just my smile is just because it's so fun to get to be with the three of y'all because, um, you know, Nate and David, I think I mentioned to y'all, Lisa has been a friend of mine since we lived in the sorority house at the university of Arkansas and boy, did we have fun. But, um, and then through my career, both, um, both David and Nate have, have been, um, huge inspiration and, um, connection for me in this, in this world that, that we find we're living in. So it's, it's a highlight for me to even sit on a panel with the two of them. But I think relationally, when when David's talking about isolation, one of the binds coming out of 2020 is that we're all out of gas too. You know, it's not like it's not like we are um, repleted from from this pandemic. So we're we're coming out 
needing connection, but also the bind of being too depleted to make the connections, you know, so it's, it's, it's really, it's really quite a bind. And on mending, mending relationships, I would say that might be, that might be the second or third step. Um, first step is getting getting with people that that are people that are safe and 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 do replete you before you start to try to drive dive into to relational things coming out of Christmas. You know, that is one of the most overrated holidays we have for many people. Some people it's great, but I think more than not, it's it's way over overrated. And then the bind there is you want to be with people. but maybe not. And so I think, I think the first thing we got to do is, is get with the people. I was thinking this morning, I can't wait to have the first get together when we're all safe and just say, it's time to celebrate now. And, and it's going to be with people that I know that I'm going to love and get energy from and um, will walk away feeling better than when I interacted. So, so I think, I think mending might be a little bit further down the road, honestly. But if not, so I'm an extrovert, so I get my energy from other people. But do introverts still feel the wound of 2020 and the isolation since they like to sit down and watch Netflix by themselves? I don't. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Nate, are you more introverted of the three of us? Yeah, I would say I'm definitely an introvert. Yeah. So what? how would you answer that? Uh, yeah, I, I need solitude without isolation. Okay. Uh, and, and that's yeah, yeah. why, you know, I'm grateful for an addiction that forced me to find friends, to seek help, uh, and to form relationships that can keep me afloat uh, because I kind of have this natural tendency to drift off into uh, the shadows all along. Yeah. Well, then did you enjoy that part of, or do you enjoy, because recovery is active, do you enjoy mm-hmm. that part of recovery then in getting together with people who can lift you up? Or do you sometimes do. think, well, dude, I need time alone? I, I, I very often have to force myself to go to a meeting or to make a phone call, or thankfully, the group that I'm a part of, the Samson Society, has been running virtual meetings now for about three years. I still have to force myself oh, to, to sign on to a meeting. Uh, but I, but when it's over, I'm always so glad I did. Um, because it, you know, it is, it's something we all need. It's, uh, yeah. So, yeah. David, how did you, or how do you approach recovery then? Um, has it changed for you during a pandemic? Or are you able still to get with people, hold them accountable, you be honest about who you are and where you are? Um, yeah, I think it's a yes and no um, that it changed during 2020. Um, it was, I had to be more intentional, like Nate was saying, about getting with people or how I would approach it. Um, there are some Zoom meetings that I did, but most of my recovery now is uh, really relational, one-on-one I have a lot of recovering friends and I make a point to really get with those people and stay with those people, stay in touch with those people. Um, I am not as big personally now for me on um, the meeting experience. I found that, you know, as I kind of moved through my own recovery, um, individual work was a lot more important to me. Uh, Individual uh, relationships was a lot more important to me than uh, what I felt like I was even picking up in the meeting. But I 
um, but I still have meeting experiences, but just not as many as I do relational ones. KK, you, when we talked a, a few months ago uh, at the end of 2020, you were saying that there was an uptick, obviously, in mental health issues. I mean, we know isolation. You know, you even said my favorite line of 2020, it, it's criminal what we've done in isolating old people and yeah. the senior population from anyone that can touch or talk to them. Um, do you feel like we've ridden the crest and we're coming down now? Or do you think we're still, as long as there are lockdowns, are we still in a battle? I, I don't know if I would isolate it to lockdowns. I think we're in a battle until people um, feel safe. So the way I describe that is the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy of need, which um, is psychobabble for many, but basically it just says we have to, the first thing we need as humans is to be physiologically safe. And, and there's no guarantee until, you know, we've got our arms around COVID with vaccine and whatever enough immunity that, that it's out that any of us feel safe enough. And so, um, then there's ramifications from that like crazy. But I, I would say until we can all take a deep breath that, that, you know, somebody that, that we love is going to die or um, we're going to be infected and the possibilities of what that would happen. We're, we're still going to be in some level of um, what we call a hypervigilant state or over arousal state. So we're walking around as a culture and really as a world um, compromised already so what happens when we have that level of anxiety for a given amount of time our brain says i can't be anxious anymore and it shuts down and goes into depression and that's what i'm seeing right now is a lot of people vacillating between the two i'm anxious one minute i'm depressed the next minute i know even for me my elderly parents left today yes my 85 year old dad is on i-40 right now with a big old rv camper driving towards little rock so if y'all are driving that road right now, you might want to pull over. But <laughs> but but they left, and of course it was really sad for me and anxious because they're out and about. But also, I got a a call from a a problem um, situation at the clinic, and I noticed on a physiological level, literally, I was shaking, and none of that was enough that I I should be shaking. Um, and I could feel it to the, my core. And I was, I had at least enough um, awareness that I was overreacting. So I know I'm depleted at, at a level that a year ago would not have had that. It would have just been two things I had to do, say bye to my elderly parent. Not that it's a little thing, but, but it would not have um, gone to, you know, the cellular neurological level for me. So I think that's what... Um, what everybody is battling. So no, the, the crisis isn't over. It might just be the tip of the iceberg, depending on the trajectory of where we're going with this thing. But um, it takes quite some time. It's, if you think of running a marathon and you're, you know, you're crawling to the finish line, that's, I think, kind of where we are right now. But once you get to the finish line, you watch people that have run a marathon, what do they do? You know, they're, they're throwing up, they're on their knees, they're, you know, recovering for weeks and months. And so I think, I don't think we should, uh, we should, we should consider yet that 2021 is going to be anything but recovery. And hopefully it will be recovery, but that doesn't mean we're all going to be great. Does that, well, does that answer what you're saying? Yeah, it does. Because that's one thing we have to understand is refueling is subjective. 
you know, I mean, we want to all refuel, but it's objective in the way that you approach it. The way I refuel, like we said, Nate might need some time just maybe to, to read a book or David does something else. But we're saying that in 2021, we have to start the refueling process now. Yeah. How do yeah. we grab that bull by the horns, KK? What do, you, what do we do? We yeah. don't know how anymore how to do it. No, we don't. Um, and, and I think we have to go back to the basics, which nobody, when, when you're depressed, nobody want, or anxious, nobody wants to hear, you know, cut out sugar, start exercising, sleep better and, and get in relationship and connect with other people. But honestly, there is nothing better than those four things. Um, and then, you know, avail yourself to whatever mental health um, things that you you have available to you in your area. I mean, the cool thing about what Nate and David and I all do now is it's it's all virtual. And so many, many people um, can can reach help uh, easily and, and more quickly. Um, but but that's but but go back to the basics. I mean, have you gotten your heart rate up for 20 minutes today? You know, have you cut out sugar, alcohol, um, numbing activities? compulsive numbing, all of those things replete the brain. And that's what we need to be about. Nate, did you and David both see an uptick then maybe in addiction? And uh, maybe, I don't know if that was the time to have that intervention. You probably were planning for somebody was during a difficult time like 2020, but it, it be addressed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there certainly has been uh, a, a very strong uptick in online porn use, for example. You know, we all have a need for connection, for intimacy, and, you know, pornography offers this, what feels initially like some kind of a reasonable facsimile. It's kind of a, uh, that leaves us, uh, of course, emptier than before. Uh, but for guys deprived of social and physical contact, uh, you know, over an extended length of time with uh, just the ready availability of online porn and where that can lead. Uh, yeah, we've, we've certainly seen, at least in the circles I run, a big jump in activity. More and more guys now coming for help. You too, David. Have you seen that increase? Yeah, I think that uh, alcohol particularly, alcohol use has increased. I mean, the numbers of uh, just in the Nashville area that the uh, liquor stores are reporting and the grocery stores are reporting of sales. And you know who else? Bakeries, because we talked about well, sugar yeah. being an addictive substance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and the irony is that a lot of us are quarantined with our triggers, you know, so, you um, it's not just that, you know, you have to stay home, but you have to stay home with these particular these people. Exactly. This cast of characters that might have contributed to you getting here, you know, and, and then you're going to ask me not to drink, you know, or to use or to go to my room for an hour or whatever is going on. And uh, it's a lot. It's a big ask, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I'm seeing a big uptick in that and in, um, you know, what we'd call slips or relapses. Some are just slips, but some are full blown relapses. And that's hard because uh, there are people that are, um, you know, making some really great strides. And I'm trying to help them through the all or nothing thinking, you know, let's not go to all or nothing. Let's not, you know, just cling to our sobriety date and, and lament that, you know, I no longer have three plus years. And, uh, you know, let's just say tomorrow we're not, today is today and we're starting again, 
you know. So does that make you a little nervous, the whole sobriety date and the all or nothing? I never yeah. thought of that. Yeah. As the I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of that, actually. I mean, I I appreciate my chips and by God's grace and goodness, I, you know, have, have gotten to accumulate some, but it really can work against people and the perfectionist, especially in us. And, um, and the idea that, um, that addiction is sometimes, um, this, uh, this, this sort of contest with myself, you know, because what the work that I do with people isn't to help you find five ways not to drink. You know, the work I do is to help you get to the bottom of what it is you really believe, um, because it's what you believe that's making, uh, that's contributing to your sickness. It's not what you think, uh, you know, it's what you believe about yourself and about the is world. Is that the why then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you believe is the why you mm-hmm. might reach for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I would say um, the why many times, um, you know, kept you alive for a long mm-hmm. time. You know, there's the, right. the why of, of, of behaviors that were out of your control through, you know, adolescence, early adulthood, that numbing, um, that numbing coping mechanism might have saved your life. It's just not valuable anymore. And mm-hmm. I would jump on, um, jump into the sobriety thing too, because there's, there's really, um, there's a shame loop that happens, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Lisa and I can talk about the walk mm-hmm. of shame that, that mm-hmm. people had coming back to the Chi Omega house. I mean, <laughs> that there's, I shouldn't have said that out loud, the um, sorority, but um, scratch that. But anyway, um, that, you know, why would I want to do that? It, it, and it, 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 if we can get away from, I've got this many days of sobriety, if we can get away from that so that there, there's not a negative feedback loop with the shame, um, I think that's really helpful. The, the problem is many times that that longevity of sobriety is more helpful to spouses or family members that are kind of linked into uh, the fear that there's going to be a relapse or a slip or whatever. So it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's dicey at best. And Nate, feel free to push back on that. Um, if you don't agree on it. No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, which is why we don't have chips in the Samson society. And we actually, we don't introduce ourselves in meetings as addicts of one kind or another. I just say our name. Wow, you really broke the mold on that whole philosophy yeah. then. It's a new way of thinking. Uh, the reason I'm thinking this, Dak Shepard, the um, actor mm-hmm. who has a great podcast, um, came out on his podcast a couple of months ago that he had broken sobriety after how many years, and he wasn't really telling anybody at first because it was he had a slip-up. Mm-hmm. And see, but there was something about his slip-up that condemned him, or he condemned himself, and I don't know his thinking, but you know, I'm, just, I'm reaching here to think if he goes to the mentality of one slip up and you're back on the other side, then you do think, well, I got to start all over. Mm-hmm. You, you never would. You'd never have a point where you can rest. But I do know probably Nate and David, you know, this and KK and working with addiction. It still is one day at a time, though, correct? Sure. Yeah. And no matter how many days it's been, mm-hmm. it's still one day. Absolutely. Day for the two of you who've walked through that, today was a new day, and you probably woke up and said, "You know what? Today I'm I get to we get a new chapter every day." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, 
so at your point, well, then do either of you men tell how long you've been clean and sober from your addictions? I will tell somebody if they ask me, but, um, but I also am quick to say that, um, you know, if I really start thinking the right way, I could go out this afternoon and tear it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Well, we're all one sin away from destruction. I mean, I always think that about myself. That's why, I mean, get to a point, you know, as parents where you watch other parents, you think, well, I'll never do that. And then you have kids, you go, gosh, that was the nicest thing those parents could have ever done. You know, you just realize life is hard, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and one thing I would say, too, is is this this question of how long have you been sober? Well, I, I, I have been sober from not raging at my spouse for maybe 24 hours. So if we start to sit in judgment of somebody else, figure out what your coping mechanism that's not helpful is and, and, and be able to let that go. I mean, one thing I love that, that Nate has done, I know um, in middle Tennessee and throughout the world is to, to debunk what, what sexual addiction is, because if you're sitting in non-judgment right now, you just don't know what's going on, you know, Mm -hmm close close to where you live and what nate did is he he had the courage to stand up and say this is this is a compulsion that affects us all christians non-christians whoever joe blow and and what that's done for us as a is just a culture here in, in nashville and beyond is that that nobody takes a a gasp at that anymore it's all in the same category of we've got a we've got to to look at our own behavior so if you're sitting in judgment listening to this then i would say that's a really good signal for you to do your own fearless moral inventory as i'm mean to do every so often myself (laughs) when you were just bringing up and i was writing it down you're recovering from porn and sex addiction there's a part of yourself probably told yourself it's a victimless crime, not the sex addiction board, but the porn. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah. how, what made your brain finally resonate saying this is, this is beyond any healthy involvement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm great. I, I am very fortunate to have a wife who, uh, when she finally uh, caught on to exactly what was going on, drew a line and, uh, you know, our marriage had been suffering for years. Really, what we call sex addiction or porn addiction is best understood really either as, as KK is often want to say, kind of a maladaptive response to trauma. Also, I think best uh, uh, described as an intimacy disorder. Mm-hmm. And so since I was making uh, imaginary connections with virtual people on a daily basis, I was... Uh, crippling myself, making impossible to make and sustain really uh, a real connection with the you know the person I was married to. So I was drifting from her emotionally for years. When she finally understood what was going on, just said, "This has got to stop." And it was in a desperate attempt to save really the only f- adult friendship I had uh, that I that I sought help. And then you know began to recognize as I got in a room with other people. Uh, suffering from the same, uh, you know, destructive behavior, uh, really how destructive it has been. Yeah. 
And David, you're not sure. I told my boss for years that no, that, 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 go ahead. No, I want to hear what you have to say. You told yourself for years what? I told myself for years that it was a victimless crime, uh, that really I was being noble by not burdening my wife with all my sexual needs. It was a bulwark against adultery until it wasn't. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are all kinds of justifications that you can use. And David, you came Uh, from your addictive behavior. Was it, and I I don't know what you tell people, so I don't know, was it other than sex and porn addiction? Was it alcohol and Mm -hmm. substance abuse? Okay. So then the the intervention is easier with the Davids of the world, right? Because you think he could be ruining his life because he's not going to work or he's not able to hold a job or whatever. It's hard to function as an alcoholic. I know people do it. Mm But um, is it easier then to peg somebody in your family? Because again, Nate, you had a wife who could, she knew you so intimately. She knew something was up. But did your friends know, Nate? Oh, no, no, no. I was a consummate actor and a a, a gifted liar. Right. So, yeah. But David, yours probably came more from um, maybe behavior would have recognized that something wasn't right, correct? Yeah. Well, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was good. He was uh, really good. I, I went to the Dave Larkin School of Personas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, here's the thing. I rode the coattails of talent. Um, and I learned really young that if you have a talent and you do it well, and then maybe you could even do it in the name of Jesus or something that you get like 10 bonus points for that. And, and so, um, and no one ever questions any type of sin or anything in your life. If you're singing for Jesus, well, right? Yeah. And then I was singing and had a sick spouse. And so then I could really play the saint role up. Yeah. And then my friends would go, you know, when I would, I would wait in the water about three inches deep once in a while and tell people, you know, I'm, I, I might be, I, I might be drinking a little bit, um, you know, too much. And they'd be, well, God, if I had your life, I'd drink too. And I'd be like, thank you, bingo. <laughs> then I'm on for another three months, you know. <laughs> right. And, uh, but I had it down. I, I knew when I would drink. I knew how I would drink. I knew where I would drink or what I would drink. And it was very ritualistic and figured out. And and my, my goal was to never let any of the uh, concentric circles intersect, you know, never let anything bump into each other. Um, cause that would get really messy, but, but as, as addictions go, <laughs> um, that got harder and harder to manage. Um, but when I finally had to reach out and get help, it was because I had only about four prime time hours in the day, um, that I was really worth anything. <laughs> and, uh, and those just happened to be the ones I would live out in front of people. So, so I, I hid it for a really long time. And, and then even when I, when I told people, um, they didn't want to believe me just because of the nature of, you know, things. So. KK. So for the mom who every day has to have her little glass of something, when does she know she's in too deep? Yeah, I I think, I think that, and you guys weigh in on this too, but I, I think we're all shifting our definition of what what means uh, we're we're into the abuse or the um, compulsivity that we can't stop. Um, we're changing that, and I just 
I, I just make it simple and say, is it creating relational pain? You know, is it a behavior that, that is, is, is creating upheaval, either relational, vocational, you know, any of that, because if it is, then, then um, it's an issue. And, and I think, I think both when you hear David and Nate's stories, which, which are sacred and remarkable, you can see that, that mostly what drove them um, to get out of the shadow is the relational pain. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where, where you can draw a line. So, um, then I would ask that mom, you know, what is going on, um, as far as in her system that she lives, that she's so dysregulated that at four o'clock she needs that wine. And I would back, back into it that way. Like, what can we change that, that, that would give, give you relief to be regulated enough to not drop, you know, grab a, uh, a glass of wine to, to numb out um, because you numb everything. I mean, it's like, it's like Nate said, you know, he, it prevented him from having, you know, an important relationship with his wife. who's an incredible woman. And, and that, and I would say, and Nate, you could jump on this one too. If people that are, are listening about this porn use, I've, I've seen many people, especially, you know, millennials um, and maybe a little older that accept porn use as a normal coping me- mechanism in their life. And I would say, in my experience clinically, I have never seen um, people that use porn um be able to have the best relationships that they can have. I, I think it prevents relational health. So, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, Oh, but he just uses porn to reduce the stress. It, it really does impede the ability to have deep intimacy with, within your relationships of all kinds. Yeah, I couldn't agree. More. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's like, you know, when we were raising our kids and we we're having to, you know, tell them about porn. I remember just saying that is a fantasy that no woman, no couple lives up to whatever you're seeing. And it's just so destructive, but I I don't know in the mind of a young man or young woman, they're like, no, but we're, I'm different or I can separate myself from it. But it, I mean, Nate, without, I'm a prude on porn, pornography. So without sounding like a prude is, I guess KK's kind of asking, is any porn use healthy? From my perspective, no. Uh, It's being promoted as, you know, adding spice to a relationship or, I mean, I justified it as sex education when I was, you know, a younger man. Not knowing, you know, thinking that I was preparing for marriage when I was actually poisoning my marriage. Uh, you know, allowing pornography to create expectations for marriage that no woman on the planet would ever be able to fulfill. So, yeah, it's uh, again, I, I don't want to. Um, yeah, I don't want to sound preachy. I certainly don't want to uh, drive anybody to shame or a feeling of condemnation. I just want to be a voice of caution. And from somebody who's on the other side of it now, uh, you know, my one of my great regrets is that I spent so much time and so much money, uh, money and so many years of my life and my children's childhood on what amounts to bad sex. Yeah, there you <laughs> because go. It was devoid, <laughs> because it was devoid of actual emotional connection. Wow. 
that, that is profound. Uh, now, Nate, with that, are there many other people, like I don't know many people who have come forward as boldly as you have. Is, is this kind of a little niche mm-hmm. you've kind of cornered the market on? You know, are there are there other people, you know, do we need, well, I guess because virtually we can meet with anybody anywhere, but do you think there are people in Arkansas and other states that people are listening to? There's a Nate Larkin there. <laughs> Yeah, there are more and more men and women coming out of the shadows, it seems to me, you know, with every passing year. Uh, It's funny, you know, when I first started speaking publicly, especially within Christian circles, you know, churches were very reluctant to invite me. And, you know, they wanted to vet me beforehand to be careful what I was going to say. Uh, What I've noticed now is that um, churches more and more are desperate for this conversation. The door is wide open because I think we're finally coming to recognize that as a culture, we, uh, you know, there is there we almost an entire generation has been swept away by a tidal wave Mm -hmm. Uh, and porn use among the younger generation is almost universal now. It's no longer just a male problem. It's a female problem. It's affecting uh, relationships. It's having just a catastrophic effect on dating relationships, marriage relationships. Mm. I mean, when the, when the rate of erectile dysfunction among males uh, 18 to 35 jumps within a 10 year span from 2% to 30%. uh, Is that a symptom then of pornography? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Urologists actually have a new diagnosis, P-I-E-D, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Yes. Wow, had no idea. You know what? I need to mention this. I am going to put links to you all, all three of you, in the show notes, uh, books you've written, and and obviously your podcast, uh, David, that uh, you and Nate have, because it's valuable that people can get um, more information and increase it. David, do you think then there's a link through the person with one thing, a friend of mine who went through uh, sobriety said, he goes, the crazy thing about drunks, and he was laughing, he was talking about himself. He said, we'll replace one addiction with another. And my friend said, I don't drink anymore, but I drink 19 Diet Cokes in a day and he, (laughs) cause he wanted the sugar. And he, and he, and he said smoking. He said all the people in their group then picked up smoking. Do you feel that way, David, that if it's that, uh, people that suffer in that family of addicts. Yeah, because the reality, I think, in some ways, and KK, you're the brain guru here, but your brain really doesn't know the difference between a shot of whiskey, a chocolate cake, and an orgasm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you really done that now. That yeah. destroyed my addiction. I thought I was never that. Now it's over. So anybody, you know, that just about covers all of, you know, that's, that's you know, the, the Baptist to Skid Row to the porn shops, right? It's all of us. Right? So it's all of us. And, and what we're trying to do is avoid being us. You know, and when did it quit being okay to be us? And and so if I'm not going to work on that, um, when I give up, quote unquote, drinking, um, if that's how I'm using the, you know, if that's it's how, how I'm wording it to, because that's how I'm looking at it. Um, when I give that up, if that's all I'm doing, there will be, you know, a first cousin at the door <laughs> right away going, hey, um, you know, uh, you know, you can also not feel like you if you do this. 
or you can also numb out if you do this, or maybe if you're into that, because compulsion, you know, a, a lot of us are uh, just born with a, I think, uh, a particular, um, if one is good, two is better, five is great, right. you know, um, mm-hmm. but a lot of this is born out of, um, you know, our, our own shame and trauma and realizing that it is just not okay to be us. And when we come to terms mm-hmm. with us, then I think it's not as big a deal to tackle some of these other things. Now I say that, and I've put on some pounds in during the pandemic, so I've got to go back and address exactly what's going on here. So. Well, yeah. KK, let's talk about the brain. The brain's fascinating. And in our reward center, it is David Wright that our brain sees it as the top of the merry-go-round or whatever, you know, the. Yeah. The yeah. I, I think the, um, and I'm certainly not the guru. I might be, um, no, I'm not a guru. I, I was going to make a joke, but I'm not a guru. Um, but I would say, yes, the answer is, is our brain regulated or not? Are we in a state that we, we can handle just, um, you know, 80% of feeling okay for most of the time. And we don't have to go for that 110 to, to be okay. It's, it's dysregulated. It's messaging from way, way early on. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of saying, let's look at even what happened during your mom's pregnancy to understand the, the level of, of dysregulation that we have. And then, then I think it really is, you know, it is a neurological response to say we've got to regulate ourselves some way. And the easiest way is, is a, a sugar hit or, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, pseudo emotional connection online, whatever it is, I'm going to get this hit. Now the problem with this, um, uh, uh, I need this big hit and, and it, and it creates neuropathways that say, go back to that same thing over and over. So a couple of things happen there. When you go back for those hits, many times you're re-traumatizing that young child within you. Um, because those were, those were the behaviors you had during a traumatic time, but also, um, it leaves us with a, a lower lower mood than when we started. So if I'm, if I'm depressed already and I'm going to go get that hit, um, on porn or alcohol, hell, chocolate cake, David. But, yeah. uh, you know, what I'm going to feel after that big old piece of cake is worse than when I started before I took that first bite or before I took that first hit. So it's a negative feedback loop that is actually driving our mood further down, driving our shame higher than when we even set out. Whereas emotional connection with other human beings or exercise or doing things that used to bring you joy many times because the addiction is you're so far in, nothing brings you joy, but that one activity Mm -hmm. or a high or, or relief or whatever, we've got to get to where the things that are healthy range bring us enough dopamine or enough regulation that, that we, we reenact those things as opposed to, um, going for more novel, which is what the brain wants to do. It wants to go for new novel, um, more risky, all of those kind of things. So we're really, we are in a battle with our brains until we get to a regulated state. And then this is one thing I've never understood. Then why can't you, David, and I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. I respect that you can't. Why can't you just have a glass of wine now with friends? Is it because you go from zero to 60 
Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really great question. And there's debate, uh, to be really honest, in the mm -hmm. uh, recovery community about managed moderation. You know, there's a kind of a movement toward um, after a period of time, can some people drink successfully, so to speak, again? One of the things that I, I wanted to piggyback on what KK said, too, is that when these a lot of these behaviors can happen um, innocently, I can go to my mom's and have a piece of her great chocolate cake and I'll sit down with my family and have chocolate cake. But when I'm eating or acting out, drinking porn, whatever, obsessively about something, most of those behaviors are privatized and they yeah. go to isolated behavior. So I'm not going to eat like I want to eat in front of you. I'm going to eat politely my mom's one piece of chocolate cake that she'll serve mm -hmm. me. But if she sends that cake home with me, I'm going to, if I'm in my mode, I'm going to go mm -hmm. after it, but I'm going to do it privately because I can't, I can't drink like I want to in front of people. I can't eat like I want to in front of people. And so it's very isolated behavior. But to your point about, can I just have a glass of wine? For me personally, I might be able to. But the one thing that I know is that um, if I do, um, the next thought I'm going to have is when can I do it again? And how much can I get by with again? Because if it if it starts to if it starts to go to that place in my brain where I start to feel that numbing, um, I no longer feel anxious, perfectionistic, shame, all those things. It's going to be really attractive to me, and I don't know if I have another spin of the wheel in me. You know, my my theory is that God gives um, like only so much alcohol to a person over their life, and I hit mine by forty five. So, <laughs> you know, I think I topped out and I, I'm out of coupons. I just don't have them. And I know not real for when, me. So. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but this is really important. I think, David, because you and I have worked on a lot of cases where the actual person that has the 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 addictive behavior really feels strongly that they can handle it. But then we have to look at the carnage that they've left over time mm -hmm. with other people relationally and mm -hmm. say, and say that that's going to trump me having that glass of wine. I mean, mm -hmm. because I know that, you, that I don't want to speak for you, but there are people that I, and I'm one that really depends on your sobriety. Um, so, so it, it's, it's, it would be really, you know, mm -hmm. I think, I think, to extrapolate, it could be catastrophic for the, the people you love around you, regardless. And and I'm, I'm in that camp, too. I don't know what's right on it, but I do know that relationships and, and people you love can trumpet to talk you off that ledge of should I give it a whirl. Yeah. And I tell people all the time who want to try the managed moderation model. Um, you, everybody gets a choice in this. Everybody has a boundary and you might be able to go out and experiment with that, but your family may not have the emotional bandwidth to make that trip with you. And they yeah. get to choose, they get to, they get to weigh in and go, yeah, we, um, you, you know, we can't support it. And so that may mean you end up drinking alone in an apartment you have to rent, um, you know, cause that can happen. Yeah. People will. They'll do anything sometimes to get to their whatever their love is, mm -hmm. their addiction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we, we don't want to push them back in that position. So, Nate, would there be managed moderation then with pornography? Uh, again, I don't want to legislate for anybody else. Uh, but I know that for me, that's not a viable option. Yeah. I, I can uh, see. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, I, I just uh, I just think that 
uh, real emotional intimacy is so far superior to anything that porn can ever deliver. And porn uh, is such a potential threat to our ability to form and, and, you know, sustain those relationships that it just isn't worth playing with that fire. I agree. Now, Nate, have we discussed, have you ever then, if if we talk about addicts, then might pick up something else to be addicted to? Is that your proclivity, do you think, to all or nothing? And you might, if you drank, you would drink a lot? Or does it not, are you not threatened by drinking or other things? Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm dealing with alcohol right now. Uh, David, uh, David is my good friend and he's with me, uh, you know, on this trip. So we've had many long conversations about my own discomfort, about my, you know, I I can pass all the tests of whether or not you're an alcoholic. I can, uh, you know, I can clear the bar. I'm still a uh, quote unquote normal drinker, but I'm feeling this nagging discomfort and I'm finding it distressingly hard to stop. Uh, Yeah. Then, uh, you know, once, once I do manage to get free of alcohol, and I'm hopeful that I will, I have no doubt that something else will present itself as, a, as another right. alternative, you know. It's the weed that myself. pops up, you know, that you think, oh, okay, I've, I've gotten yeah. the yard, you know, you take care of your yard, I've gotten the yard taken care of, <laughs> and you turn around. Do you mean you're like, weed? <laughs> like weed? <you know>. Or- <laughs> we do have medical marijuana in Arkansas, so <laughs> there you go. that's legal. Um, yeah. I, how do you all then, because, you know, people look up to you as the experts. How do you not get judgy then, like with a family member or a friend? How do you not look at them and go, mm, you're drinking too much home? Or especially your kids, because, you know, your kids never are prophets without honor in his own hometown. Your kids yeah. never want to hear from their parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I would just say the older I get, um, the more repentant I am forever putting my opinions on other people. You know, I'm just sick about it that, that I ever did that. So uh, I got enough, you know, enough to clean out of my own closet. And I think, you know, being around people that are authentic and own that they have closets too is your best bet because obviously Nate, Nate knows how to be vulnerable and say, well, I've got to look at this alcohol thing, you know, and I think we all have to be honest That's and look at, look at all mm-hmm. of it, you know, it takes the power out of it too. I mean, if Nate's, you know, open enough to say, I'm going to look at this, then we all can, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I, my, my big thing for 20, um, 2020 was I got to stop mowing anybody else's yard because I have enough yard to mow myself. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, do you sometimes cringe because we are over twenty, all four of us? I would think you know, in your twenties, you you tell people advice, and do you ever? I hate it when I meet someone. They go, "Oh, Lisa, I met you twenty years ago. Yeah. You told me so and so." And I go, "Please don't tell me because it's probably real judgy." And it's exactly. Like, you know, yeah. I'm so afraid of what I said. Oh, do you all yeah. feel that way? One million percent. <laughs> yeah. I, I Some, think somebody that, sent me a package. Of, oh, go, no, ahead. go ahead, Nate. Somebody sent me a, a package of cassette tapes uh, of me teaching thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. 
I'm grateful that I no longer have a cassette player because even if I did, I would not be able to bring myself right. to play them. Uh-uh. Right. uh-uh. Yeah. Get the yeah. hammer out on yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that way, David? Oh, that- yeah. There's crap I've said, you know, back when I thought <laughs> I was smart. Um, <laughs> and that's one thing that recovery has freed me a little bit more from is the need to be right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really don't feel this uh, profound need to be profound anymore. I just am trying to speak my own truth and let the chips fall, if that makes sense. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't manage anybody's outcomes, even the people I love the most in the world. And, uh, I just, uh, want to be, uh, there for them when the time, if the time comes. So. You know, there are some people who don't want to fix other people. I'm not one of them. Because <laughs> I always have a better idea. Let me tell you how to do that. But I have a real healthy husband who never wants to tell anybody, except, you know, me and how to park or drive. I'm not talking about that. But I, I just think that's always a healthy perspective that they don't want to meddle in someone else's business. But I think I have so much to share and I need to. <laughs> you know, just keep my mouth shut. So, KK, what words do you have? And just kind of wrapping things up here, you think the brain's ability to sense these stressors can keep us on the straight and narrow? I, I don't. I don't think anything um, void of relationships can keep us on the straight and narrow. I really think we have to. You know, we have to have safe people. Um, I just think close connection with other human beings is, is one of our, our best um, anecdotes for this, this thing. And, and, and that's hard to hear when you're in a lonely, isolated place, but um, not so much. I don't think, I I think we, we deceive ourselves. I think that's our greatest coping mechanism that, that we have is self-deception. So I, I don't think, I think it, it. I think you can do a litmus test. Are you thinking you're without any issues? And if your answer is yes, that's probably a. Good, <laughs> a you good have test. more than one, right? Yeah, yeah, but no, I'm a big proponent in in what Nate and David are both saying um, about about you know the ways to to not have to white knuckle it to be in relationship. Um, you know, connection with other people. And, and when you can avail yourself to, to skilled mental health professionals and modalities that, that can really help you move through it. You know, the, there are things like with neurofeedback, we, we've seen great reduction in cravings towards these different numbing mechanisms. And, and that, that's a great thing. Um, you know, talking to somebody working through trauma, um, trauma informed therapy, there's a lot of things now that, that we've never we've never had before but if you're if you're a person that's never even stepped into the pond of mental health there's no shame of that but it, it but it is worth a look you know if you've never if you've never been exposed to it so are you saying then then trauma can it trigger these addictions trauma as much as anything oh yeah 100% it can and and oh, it's not yeah. always that but, but <laughs> most times you can you can you can walk back at from, from a behavior to a, um, a specific trauma, really most times. Wouldn't you say, David, most oh, times yeah. you can identify a trauma that, or yeah. a set of traumas. And, and many times it's, it's young, young. And so, mm-hmm. you know, used to, we would think if, if you can't remember mm-hmm. it, then, then that doesn't, that doesn't 
count. But the truth is that the the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which I always pitch, um, you know, it's in the cellular level and our brains are mostly non-conscious. So there's a lot that goes on that we don't get to the to even to the surface of our, you know, mm-hmm. human thinking. And, and that, you know, that really drives a lot of, of behaviors um, for a dysregulated brain. Yeah. Well, you all are experts. Thank you so much for being here. And again, show notes will have links to websites and facilities and books. Body Keeps the Score. I have it on uh, Audible, so I can just listen to it anytime and go back to that chapter because it's it's pretty heavy stuff, but it's it's very very valuable. What you do is valuable, all, all three of you. And I don't know if you if you got David's book, but I'll give him a shout out. His his story is incredible. Um, David, what's the title? After the miracle. Yeah, after the miracle. It's a it's a great great read on when you're wondering about um, what what somebody's story's like that has had come out of that. I, I love that book. So mm-hmm. put that one on there too, Lisa. And thanks you all for being here. The um, You're really the holy trinity of therapists. But I, I didn't <laughs> want to make it sound. I More like the three, mus- the, the three musketeers. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Less less to know you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? And to reach out, email me, lisa at lisafishersaid.com. Thank you.